it just now dawned on me that this is talk number 21 out of this entire series. And that does not include the two introductory talks where I told you the story that, that really kind of gave uh, the launch, the rise to this material. Anyway, what that means is I've thrown a lot of material your way, probably several hundred pages worth of text that you can go back, rewind, re-listen to, look at in written form on the website, uh, just that's down listed in the show notes for each of these audio recordings. Anyway, here's what I want to do in this talk. After writing about the gifts and after teaching about them in several environments for over, really for the past 20 years, just in random spaces, so not not consistently for 20 years, but that, that's really kind of how long I've been kicking around the material. I've noticed that the same questions tend to surface over and over again. Let me, let me tell you what those questions are. And then what I want to do in this episode of the podcast is I want to walk you through really what would be my best answers to those questions. Not the definitive answer, but really just my take that may cause you to think of some other things. And and goodness, you don't have to agree with those. You may have some better ideas and sling some information back my way that would help me. So here are the most common questions. Number one, can my gifts grow and change or am I stuck with what I've got? Uh, Number two, is there one specific place where I can find all of the gifts listed? And that would be like in the Bible or somewhere on a chart. Number three, can you fake the gifts? Do people fake them? Number four, can spiritual gifts be abused? And if so, how cautious should I be about using them? Number five, do gifts only work in the church or do they go with me everywhere I go? Now, you'll likely notice that I've covered most of that information earlier in some of these talks. So what's going to happen here is really we're just going to condense some of what we've referenced at earlier times. So let's just start walking right through all five of those. Number one, can my gifts grow and change? Well, here's what I would say. Since the gifts are relational, they're relationally fueled. The more you attune yourself to that relationship that you have with the Father, the more readily those gifts will flow and the more likely they are to grow. Now, earlier in this material, I referenced Philip. The first time we see him even mentioned in the scripture is when he's ordained as one of the seven in Acts 6, 5. That might be the first deacons. Uh, He's said to be full of the wisdom of the Spirit Uh, full of the Holy Spirit, as are all six of the other candidates that are set forth to lead the early church. That's in Acts 6.3. And when persecution ensued, remember Philip moved to Samaria where he led a full-blown revival. That's in Acts 8.4. I discussed this, I believe it was in talk number nine, so I'm not going to go into detail here, but it's clear that Philip's gifts grew and they continue to blossom. After leaving that revival, he led the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ. Then he traveled to Azotus, preaching the gospel to every single city along the way, according to Acts 8.40. And then in time, Philip grew even more in his faith, and he became known as, here's a new title, Philip the Evangelist. That's in Acts 21.8. He became one of those fivefold leaders, uh, an equipper. And here's, here's what I would say just straight up. I've seen this in my own story. I've always been a teacher, but my skill increased with time, as has my insight. And I've learned to teach through different platforms. At the core, whether I'm speaking in front of a group, teaching via a podcast, sharing on a live video, or writing a book or a blog post, it's still an expression of that same gift. But 
take it up a level. A few years ago, I discovered that I have a gift of healing. Sometimes I teach people how to be well. Other times I actually lay hands on people, pray, and they're healed. At that time, when that first began happening a few years ago, that was something new. And then there's even this whole other thing, this whole praying in tongues issue. A few years after I noticed the gift of healing operating in my life, that one surfaced. So here's the point. Yes, I believe that you can grow. I believe that there is a certain flow there that just shifts. Uh, Were those gifts always there and I didn't know? Or were they actually new? Well, from God's perspective, nothing is new. He's eternal. From before time began, he foreordained the great works that we would walk in. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says. Part of our journey is awakening to the blessings that he set along in our path. All right, hope that makes a little bit of sense. Number two, is there one list of gifts? Now, I've referenced this a couple times. In fact, I'll put a link in the show notes to another talk where we go in that at great length. I don't think there's one list of gifts. I believe there is an indefinite, open-ended possibility of the gifts. We discussed that in talk number 16. In each of the instances in which we find the gifts mentioned, the New Testament authors, they provide us with practical tips on how to use them, not necessarily what all of them are. Now, sometimes those authors are encouraging us so other times they're correcting and rebuking us, but there's no instance in which they provide us with an exhaustive list. Uh, in other words, rather than telling us what the gifts are, again, they focus on explaining how we should use them. Now, again, we don't find one consistent list. Each list differs just a little bit. So you find the created gifts that I talk about in uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Uh, Paul mentions a handful of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. We read about the fivefold ministry offices in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Uh, Peter references uh, three gifts in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. My thought is, if God wanted us to have a closed list, my guess is that somewhere in Scripture, he would find a list and just label it and then provide it to us. But no such list exists. And that takes us back to one of the first core observations we made about the spiritual gifts in this entire talk series, is that we shouldn't view them as distinct entities which are separate from God himself. The gifts are relational. They are the presence of the Holy Spirit actually working through us. And so in the same way, you can't reduce the intimate relationship between a husband and wife to mere bullet points on a page. I don't think you can confine the balance of how God works through his people to a simple list or even a tidy definition. Now, that said, I did create a working list for or a working definition for spiritual gifts, and I did that in talk number 15. I said this, spiritual gifts, even though understand that word just like that doesn't appear in the New Testament. You can go listen to talk number 15 for more about that. Uh, But we have to use a word because there's no way to communicate without a single word, right? So spiritual gifts are the presence and the power of God expressing himself through his redeemed children to empower them for the work of ministry to the church and mission to the world. Now I'll put a graphic in the show notes that has that definition right there and I'll provide you with some links. So if you want to deep dive, it'll just make it easy to go listen to other talks. Now remember, 
That definition, though, it is in process. It's not the final answer. Uh, it's not my final answer. It has no authority. It's just a means whereby we can see, sense, and feel what the Lord is doing. So I would say understanding the purposes of the gifts. And I enumerated six purposes in talk number 18 and asking the questions that help us evaluate the effectiveness of our gifts. Um, that would be those five F questions at the end of talk 19. That's really going to help us discern more. And when we serve from that place, from remembering that the gifts are the presence of God, that the definition is more important than a list, that the purposes of the gift should remain forefront, and that we should openly evaluate our service and continue evaluating it, then we realize that the gifts can vary dramatically. Uh, anything that the Lord calls us to do, calls me to do, calls you to do, and then empowers in a supernatural capacity, that that can be really a supernatural gift. So the Spirit can express Himself in business, in crafts, and in trades, in the arts. Uh, remember, the first time we see the Spirit of God fill anyone to do anything is when He fills Bezalel. Here's the quote. It's when they're building the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So quote from Exodus 31, 2 through 5, He fills Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. So the first person filled in order to minister with Spirit was someone implementing the vision of the tabernacle that was given to Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, and not necessarily given to Moses himself. So that, to me, speaks volumes about the breadth and magnitude of how God uses gifts and how he actually empowers his people with them and the infinite number of ways he desires to express himself through us. So I would say empower the preachers and ordain the filmmakers and the artisans and lay hands on the craftsmen and brilliant businesswomen Embrace the writers and the painters and the people who can do incredible things with the internet and social media. Recognize, too, that there will be unique expressions of our culture in the future, things we haven't even seen yet, offering new ways whereby the Spirit of God will work through His children through means that we've yet to even notice. This is why it's essential that we lead people back to the place of intimacy with the Father, to that sacred rest of awakening to who the Lord says they are. If you remember, we started this entire series with the topic of identity, and then we want to call forth the ways in which we see Him express Himself through them, ultimately resulting in His glory, the building of His kingdom, and our growth. Uh, that leads me to question number three. Can you fake the gifts? Do people act out or put on the gifts? In short, the answer is yes. Uh, a few years ago, I read a book by John MacArthur named Charismatic Chaos. It's a well-known book. He's, he's a well-known Bible teacher. He spends 200 pages, more than 200 pages, outlining why certain gifts, he thinks, passed away with the apostles, as well as why all modern expressions of them are fake. Uh, he cautions us that some of these faux expressions might actually be manifestations of the devil himself. Now, let, let me say this. MacArthur is an incredible Bible expositor who's led his church for decades with amazing honor, uh, full of integrity. 
Personally, I'm grateful for what I've learned from him, even though I disagree with him on this point. Uh, People like MacArthur who argue that some of the gifts have passed away, they're known as cessationists. Uh, cessationist it's a word derived from their argument that the more demonstrative gifts like healing prophecy tongues that those gifts ceased cessation they ceased around 2000 years ago now they land on 1 Corinthians 13:10 as their linchpin verse in that chapter Paul says that all of the gifts will one day pass away okay catch that all of the gifts will pass away Even the preaching gift that these proponents of the argument used to contend why the power gifts have vanished already, that preaching gift will pass away. Now, in that verse, 1 Corinthians 13.10, Paul says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, it's clear from the context of that whole chapter, that's the love chapter, by the way, 1 Corinthians 13, it's clear that that partial is the gifts. It's unclear, though, what the perfect that comes and replaces the partial really is. Now, MacArthur and others argue that the Bible is the perfect, like that the actual written book is the perfect, that the written text is what Paul refers to. They suggest that people in their day needed expressions of miracle signs and wonders. Back in Paul's day, Jesus' day, the Apostles' day, uh, because they needed to validate the message that the Apostles were taking out to people after Jesus ascended up to heaven. Uh, their argument is now that since we have a written record, since we have the text, we don't need the power gifts. I don't subscribe to that at all. Here's a few reasons why. Uh, First, Jesus clearly said that his followers would actually do the power gifts. That's in Mark 16, 15. He proposed uh, his followers would do greater things. That's a quote, greater things than he did because he was going to the Father and he was sending them the Spirit as a better alternative. You can read that in John 14, 12. He never placed an expiration on that promise, which happens to be written in the Bible that MacArthur and the others refer to. Uh, That means that disciples past, present, and disciples in the future. So that's, that's us. We're present and future from those apostles. That means that we would walk in those gifts as well, presumably. Second, Paul cautioned Timothy that a day would come when the church exhibits a form of godliness, but actually denies the power of godliness. That's in 2 Timothy 3.5. In other words, Paul says that a day is coming when people in the church will do exactly what these cessationists do, and they'll deny that there's supernatural power. Uh, Now, I actually referenced that verse several times throughout uh, the last series of talks here. Here's what's interesting. In the same passage, Paul encouraged Timothy, same passage as this, uh, that they'll deny uh, the power, but they'll seek the form of godliness. Paul encouraged Timothy that all Scripture is inspired and that it's all profitable for equipping us for every good work that we've been called to do, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So we find scores of verses about the gifts, and we only find that one that could be bent and could be twisted to suggest that at some point the gifts disappear. I just don't subscribe to it. That leads me to the third final observation about this whole cessationist question. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.10, it clearly tells us that the gifts will cease. There's no question. We're just not sure when. When do they disappear? Here's my argument. 
Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. So it's in the same passage. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So that fits incredibly well with the imagery that we see in other places in Scripture about our identity being so wrapped in Christ that looking at Him is like looking in a mirror. So I talk about that in talk number two and talk number three of this series. That leads me to this question or this observation. Right now, it's like a mirror. At some point, it won't be. We'll actually see Jesus face to face when he returns for us. And that, in my opinion, is when the spiritual gifts disappear. We don't need gifts like healing in heaven. People are whole. All things have been made new at that point, according to Revelation 21.4. In other words, the perfect to which Paul refers isn't the written word, the Bible. The perfect is the living word, Jesus. Okay, here's another observation. Uh, that word perfect in the Greek language, it is the word teleos. That's a word I reference several times throughout this series as well, which means to reach our full potential. So, perfect in the Greek language, it doesn't mean without flaw. It means to reach the full potential for which something was created or designed. Now, my full potential and your full potential isn't to receive a sacred book. Our full potential is to one day see Jesus face to face. That's where our story goes. So MacArthur argues that since all the gifts have passed away, any gift that you now see in operation is fake. Since they don't exist, according to his argument, they have to be fake. Now, here's one area I, I do agree with him. The gifts can be counterfeited. That would be the one specific area related to spiritual gifts where I agree with him. Okay. They can be counterfeited. But I would say that doesn't mean that real examples don't exist. By its very definition, a counterfeit is a pretend of an authentic commodity. And you could even think about it like this. People only counterfeit things that are not only real, they only counterfeit things which are valuable. So no one counterfeits Walmart clothes. They counterfeit designer fashion trends. No one counterfeits soup can labels. They counterfeit money. So rest assured, if a counterfeit of anything exists, it's because there's a real version that people want and they value. So are the gifts counterfeited? I would say, of course. Sometimes it happens on purpose. Other times people are simply doing the best they can, seeking to navigate their way into the deep water of incarnational ministry. So it doesn't have to be intentional. Uh, in fact, I've referenced a couple times, uh, a, an example of fivefold leaders that I think were unintentionally counterfeiting their position. Um, if, here's how I would look at it all, though. If, if I find counterfeit money, I'm setting the fake money aside. I'm not going to stop using all money. That's how we should treat the gifts. Realize that they can be faked, but just because they are doesn't mean there's not an authentic, real version that exists that we actually want to walk in and 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 utilize not be ruled by but but utilize as a tool in a healthy way question number four can gifts be abused well some people are afraid of the gifts because they think that they can be abused and let's be honest the gifts often are abused 
But it's not just the power gifts or the charismatic gifts. I'm using those as just titles referring to healing and tongues and prophecy. It's not just those that are abused. You've probably been somewhere and heard a preacher put such a guilt trip on you that you needed a travel agent and a new set of baggage to handle what was happening. That's an abuse of the preaching gift. You've probably watched someone serve in such a way that they made others feel put out or that they owe them because of that service. That's an abuse of the gift of helps. Uh, In talk number 11, we discussed how Solomon used his God-given gift of wisdom to defy virtually everything the Lord specifically instructed kings not to do. In other words, he abused the holy trust of his wisdom gifts. The reason Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about the gifts is because, now catch this, they were abusing their gifts. They created a hierarchy whereby the gift of tongues became a mark of spiritual maturity or superiority. That's in 1 Corinthians 14. The odd thing is that many charismatic people actually do the same thing today. But gifts can be used and abused in multiple ways. They can be abused by misuse. They can be abused by non-use. People abuse many things, too. Sometimes the abuse is intentional. Sometimes it's not. But the fact that they abuse things, it doesn't mean that those things are inherently evil or that they should be avoided. Rather, they should be redeemed and used in the right way for God's intended purposes in giving those resources to us. So think with me. People abuse fire, but I'll continue using fire to cook food and to provide warmth in my house. And when I cook s'mores with my kids and camp out in my backyard or at a camp somewhere and, and we enjoy that time together. Uh, People abuse sex too, but the best step would be to receive and redeem the Lord's precious gift of radical, total intimacy. And the gifts? Well, let's pursue the gifts in the right way too, even if they can be abused, and even if in in our own sin, because I know that in mine, I've abused them before. The the idea is not to toss out, to use a well-trodden phrase, toss out the baby with the (laughs) bathwater, the object is to redeem the life that's there and move forward in, again, a healthy way. Fifth and final question is this, do the gifts only work in the church? Well, I would say it like this, the gifts work everywhere you go because the gifts are the unique expression of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, earlier in the series, I told you part of my story. I've always been a teacher, literally, always in the church and outside of the church. That gift works everywhere and it works for anything because it's part of who the Lord has created me to be. When he gifts you, he gifts you irrevocably. But remember this though, the gifts are, as we've mentioned several times, they are relational. They flow from our identity and from walking in his presence. And so the more we lean into that relationship, the more readily those gifts flow, regardless of where we find ourselves in the world. In fact, I would say there's probably more of a leaning and more of a chance that those gifts will work out in the world and not in the church, that they will work on what the Bible would refer to as mission because you've got this first, and I just end with this, God so loved the world that he gave his son. It was love that compelled it, and that love caused Jesus, it, it compelled him 
to give of his life, not inside the four walls of what would have been the temple at that time. Now, he certainly came for those people, as we'll discuss just in a couple of talks here. But, but he was on mission to the entire world, everyone, everywhere. And there's this incredible passage that he tells the disciples in the upper room the night before he's betrayed, tried, executed. Uh, it, it simply says this, as the Father sent me in the same way the Father sent me, so I send you. And that doesn't mean we hold everything inside the four walls of the church. It means we live in the world, not of it, show them a gracious, hospitable, love-filled, kingdom-compelled, heart-driven way. You see it? That's the five questions. I'll be back next week with another talk. Until then, grace, peace, shalom.